This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash be here now. Welcome to Lama Surya Das's Awakening Now podcast. We are very pleased to share with you Lama's unique illumination of the awakened awareness teachings. If you are interested in supporting Lama Surya Das's podcast, please go to beherenownetwork.com/suryadas. So we've been practicing Chegjud, the main practice of Dzogchen in Dzogchen tradition, in the mainstream of Dzogchen, and there's many different revelations, termas, many different variations, but the mainstream of Dzogchen, there are three main practices, Rushen, Subtle discernment, separating the wheat from the chaff, or the essence, the kernel from the husk. Subtle discernment. Tregjud, the main practice, cutting through, seeing through, being through. Naked awareness, natural meditation, Tregjud. And third, Togel, leap over, being there, starting from the top, Togel. Hard to translate. So it means top, and gel means like over or transcending. Sometimes called leap over, but that's a little hyperactive for me. Being there, I think, in the spirit of Peter Sellers is probably the best translation for me. Being there. I think that's the name of that Peter Sellers movie where he's a total nudnik who becomes president, which you know would be impossible in the old days. And then at the end, you see him walking on water towards the White House. That's Togel. Not just becoming president, but walking on water. Togel practice, not Togel as an achievement. That's Togel practice. But the main practice is Tregjud in the mainstream of Dzogchen. And, of course, as we've talked about, that's according to the view, meditation, and action. So it doesn't emphasize what position your legs are in or your hands are in or your eyes are in, but more your wealth and shong, your worldview, your perspective, your 
highest gl intuition, your glimpse, how you can rest in the origin of all things, or in what Jack Kerouac called in his mystical experience in Mexico, the golden eternity. I mentioned that for some of you retired um, town criers. Jack Kerouac called it the golden eternity, and so much of his work came out of that experience. You can read about it in his many Dharma-like books. Beginning with On the Road, which has so much Dharma, and Gary Snyder, and uh, Zen, and Dharma, Allen Ginsberg, and Dharma people in it. Or, if you, if you like, a much traditional, homegrown Buddha Dharma, mystical experience, Ralph Waldo Emerson, the first American philosophers from near here in Concord, Massachusetts, where the Concord grape comes from, so sacred to many of our drinking habits. Ralph Waldo Emerson, the first American philosopher, did I say that? The great transcendentalist, Thoreau's mentor, who was a preacher and his father, Minister Emerson's church, Emerson Sr. in Concord, until Ralph Waldo Emerson was a minister there in a Unitarian, First Unitarian Church, until he had a mystical experience, which he described as being like an infinitely vast, transparent eyeball, which was God's eye. Are you with me? That's the big tiggly, the ultimate sphere, the Buddha mind. And everything he did after that, you can read him saying this, he said, came out of that experience his philosophy, his speeches. He left the pulpit, and he became a wandering um, speaker and teacher. And he wrote all his books, including classics like On Nature and so on, where he saw God, the light, the divinity, and everything through that transparent, vast eyeball, all-inclusive mandala, great transparent eyeball. It's a great image. Even when we do a 49-day dark retreat, in the Dzogchen tradition, you can read about this in Namkai Norbu's book. You visualize a luminous eyeball here and you sort of become it or something. So this is the timeless wisdom. And I mention this because some people have their own experiences. I, don't, I hesitate to mention special experiences. Some teachers talk a lot about miracles and other things because it gives conceptual obscurations. We start to look forward to it. Or as soon as we get close to it, we start to overthink it, and then all of a sudden the ego is thinking and you lose it. Meister Eckhart, the greatest Christian mystic of medieval Europe, probably of Europe of all time, said, the eye through which I see God is the eye with which God sees me. That's non-dual awareness. The Zen master and philosopher, author D.T. Suzuki, wrote his master's, his PhD thesis on that. He went to Germany, he studied it in German, and compared that to Mahayana philosophy and Shunyata, the via negativa, he called it in Latin, of Meister Eckhart. Not a thing, but everything. The eye through which I see God is the eye through which she, she sees me. Holy crap. I'm looking in the mirror and it's just reflecting myself, my great transpersonal being, not just my little ego 
centric, selfish self? Or as it says in the Indian scriptures, the Upanishads, wherever I go, I meet myself with a capital S. So this is how we practice Zogchen, sitting on our, assuming, which is the right word here, our Buddha seat. Even if we're standing, assuming our Buddha seat, or our Buddha stand, there are standing Buddhas too. Look at the iconography, look in the museums, look in the pictures, Google it. You know, we used to ask the Lama, ask the Rabbi, ask the Imam, now we ask Lama Google. <laughs> Rabbi Google. It's amazing the things you can ask. If Google doesn't satisfy you, try asking Siri or the next version, um, Alexa. One of my friends said, do you have Alexa in your house? I said, no. What that? You know, they were young. I had no idea what they were talking about. They showed me when I was at their house. Alexa, do you love me? And Alexa's somewhere in the house, you know. You know, it's a little thing. But what does that mean? Alexa, do, do you love me? I love you in the way of serving what you need. She has a great, fantastic answer. <laughs> Alexa, what is the meaning of life? What you put into it. <laughs> Amazing. Guru Alexa, who knew? <laughs> Alexa, where do you come from? And she said, where she, which I forget, I know. Google, well, Amazon. No, it's something very specific and true. Oh, that we could be so specific and true without getting hung up about it, you know? If we come from other planets, what is the meaning of life? And so on, which is all on the level of thinking, which can only get you so far. I mean, the truth is even oneness can only get you so far. So don't get hung up there either. Or nonness, emptiness, shanata, which could be nihilistic. Don't get stuck or fixate on that either. Thus the Heart Sutra talking about awareness says cultivate the awareness or the mind that sticks nowhere, that fixates nowhere, that attaches nowhere. You can read about it in the Diamond Sutra, the Vajracharika Sutra, spoken by Buddha, supposedly. Cultivate the mind, cultivate the awareness that attaches nowhere, that fixates nowhere, that sticks to nothing. I like to think of it as the Teflon mind. You know, we need a sticky flypaper mind to memorize things, you know, if we're a doctor, or memorize um, our passcode to get into Alexa or something, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> into our <laughs> cash window or into our, you know, handheld maybe. But that's the sticky flypaper mind, and we need that, the rational thinking mind. That's the relative side of life, the karma cause and effect, where there's virtue advice, there's right passcodes and wrong ones, meaning it works, it doesn't work. That's like Buddhist morality. Not that you're a sinner forever and go to hell, or you're a saint forever and go to heaven forever, but whether it's healthy or 
unhealthy, wholesome or unwholesome, like it works or doesn't work. So we need the sticky flypaper side of our mind to function in the relative world and remember how to drive home from here or what train to take or you know what our address is or how to get to our sleeping place when we leave here. But also, the, we also have the Teflon side of our mind to use when needed so things don't stick and burn and die there, get impacted. You know what I'm talking about? It's called non-attachment, equanimity, letting go in Buddhism, non-attachment usually. So we cultivate that in our meditation practices, not just Dzogchen the non-attachment of letting things arise and dissolve, emerge and submerge, merge back, like waves in the sea. The waves never leave the sea, and yet in the relative we can count them. We can say big waves or small waves, or you know, far apart or close, and other kinds of waves, whirlpools, tsunamis, icebergs, and so on, different states, same nature. Similarly with the thoughts and feelings in our field of consciousness, which is really our body-mind continuum, not just our head or mental mind. Physical sensations arise and dissolve. Everything is impermanent, and so on. And we're not in charge, so no self also means ownerless, governorless, anatta, governorless, ownerless. So if I say we're not responsible, don't. Make that your slogan in the rest of your life. We're also responsible. But in this sense, we're not responsible really. Whatever thought in the meditation, everything's taken care of. We're in a safe container. So we can have a formal posture or like practice for half an hour or hour and informal mind. Let it all hang out, let it all hang in. Once I asked the Dalai Lama about uh, Kinsi Rinpoche, about Rushen, and he said, externally, Rushen is like a practice of discerning authentic from inauthentic, the real from the unreal, natural from unnatural, samsara from nirvana, and so on. Subtle discernment, Rushen, which is the nundra or the foundation for Tregchudin's Togyo. How can we say rest in Rigpa? rest in naturalness or natural awareness if we don't know what that is, if we think it means thinking about what is natural. That's thinking. That's just thinking. That's the sixth sense thinking mind. Not necessarily natural. Leaving that as it is is natural awareness, having some perspective on that. So I asked Ken Sirinpache once about how do you practice this cut loose, let it all hang out, Rushen, in daily life. He said, externally, with a moral character and ethical behavior, according to circumstances, conditions, and laws, like a monk or like a good Buddhist layman, with a certain amount of precepts like not killing and stealing and all. And internally, like a Mayana Bodhisattva with altruistic, compassionate, generous, unselfish, patient attitude, all the paramitas, the panacean practices of the Bodhisattva, 
the paramitas internally, but secretly, subtly, letting it all hang out. That was pretty far out. Outer, inner, and secret teaching, I thought. Anybody seen the Dalai Lama in person or on film? You see how he walks around? Mr. Hush Puppies with his little glasses and his science notes. He's very interested because he studies everything. He has a doctorate of divinity, but you know he's like a junior scientist also. And he's just awake to everything. He, so he's interested like psychology, modern psychology and things like that and, and uh, neuroscience. Outwardly, like a monk, inwardly a bodhisattva with that noble heart, altruistic compassion, unselfish, well-tamed, straightforward. Honest, I thou with everybody, shaking everybody's hands, letting women hug him even when monks in Asia are sworn not to touch anybody, especially a woman. And he's criticized for that. But he's bigger than that. Wisdom trumps method. And secretly, just totally Dzogchen Mahamudra master, just letting it all hang out, totally natural. It's hard to see, maybe, but if you're with him, like my wife came to one of his teachings, it was a weekend at the Harvard uh, Medical School, and um, there were different presenters. I presented meditation in the morning, but he, you know, he was the main speaker a few hours in the morning and afternoon, and uh, she was sitting way in the back, and she has a hearing aid now, and she couldn't really hear a lot of it. But she said, I could not leave. I was transfixed. I couldn't believe how um, spontaneous he was. Something like that. How joyous and spontaneous and natural he seemed to be. And her example was, he even kept scratching his smallpox vaccination in his arms, just like me. That's what she said. So we connect in so many different ways. Do you get my point? The woman has an MBA. I thought she would probably leave in the morning because she wouldn't be able to hear and he, what he was talking about and so on. She was riveted by his bhav, his presence, his way of being on those outer and inner and secret levels. She got it because she has a clear mind and a you know, good heart and maybe some karma connection with the lineage being you know, attracted to me and it. I never told you this probably, but when His Holiness Drukpa Rinpoche, the head of the dragon lineage, whose picture is over there, oh, it's in the back row. How unfortunate for his picture. For him, I mean. (laughs) He must be fuming over there in Nepal. He's still young, speaks perfect, speaks excellent English. He's, He's like 50. Our Martha, who usually sits here, is over there for a month retreat with him and his uh, assistant Lama, who's coming here at the end of August. Comptroller Rinpoche. Drukshin Rinpoche was in New York once, so we went down to see him, and he was speaking at the Oriental Society, which is a nice museum-like place in New York. And he was up on the podium talking about his Live to Love project and cleaning up the Himalayas and educating women in the Himalayan villages where they get no education usually, and things like that, which, you know, I was very inspired by. And she told me later, 
She was inspired by the big, fat, round Bhutanese servant lama that was traveling with him who was standing like between me and her. And she thought he was the greatest thing since, what, what did they say, sliced bread. Much more wonderful to be with than the lama giving the talk, the great lama. So we all have our connections and points of contact because it's everywhere. Like the sun is everywhere, but it's hard for it to shine in the caves that are facing away from it. And yet daylight is everywhere, even a little in the caves by reflection and whatever. So shadows are nothing but light, as I said earlier on. And we can find it everywhere. This is called pure perception in the Vajrayana, in Tibetan Buddhism, in the Vajrayana. Daknam, pure perception. Trunk Rinpoche, the great Buddhist pioneer, called it sacred outlook. The Catholics call it sacramental vision. Seeing the light, they would say seeing the Jesus in everyone and everything in this world. In Tibetan, we say seeing the Buddha, seeing the Buddha nature, more universally, we'd say seeing the light, seeing the divinity, I, thou, not I, it, I, thou, in everyone and everything. And that's a practice, not just somewhere we hope to reach one day. That's a practice we cultivate. Like when we go at it, like here, it's fairly easy to see you know, everyone as like a nice living Buddha or Bodhisattva or, you know, whatever we think. Nice, spiritual, nonviolent people. We don't really know what goes on outside or at home, but, you know, it's like how we perceive it. And we love everyone, and it's like being married together for a week, and we're all together. I know we're in silence, but we communicate in so many ways. And we'll have a sharing circle set for Saturday and break silence Friday night and have a little uh, fire puja and party and concert. But when we go out of here, can you know, how do we see like the um, traffic cop, the uh, squirrel, the whatever we see, you know, the dogs and the cats, the people that are different than us, the person honking at us, and so on? Can we see the light in them? Where's our pure perception then? So that's something I work on and we all work on to the extent we can in a Vajrayana tradition. And then when you see that in everyone, not just your children or your beloved or, for that matter, your guru or a saint. When you see that in everyone, you start to treat everyone naturally as you would have your beloved child treated. That's the diamond rule, seeing the light in everyone and everything and naturally treating them thus. You don't have to legislate it. So this is a great and joyful practice, I think, that opens worlds to us the golden eternally, eternity, as Kerouac called it, the, the holy now, the eternal instant, where this is it and this is enough, the perfect time, the perfect place, the perfect teaching, the perfect everything, uh, and the perfect way, uh, moment, whatever, and the perfect student. Oh, that's hard, the last one. Ah. We were fine until then. So consider that, what's keeping you from that, the five perfections, as they call it in the Vajrayana, that this is it, that everything is it. What's keeping you from it? Or from seeing through the illusion of separateness right now, separate from it, however you conceive it.
Remember, the kingdom of heaven is within. This isn't just a Tibetan idea. So this practice helps us to let things go and come and go and let them arise and fall in our body-mind continuum in the present moment to come back to our actual meditation and pith instructions and cultivate this spiritual detachment or non-attachment that Buddha talks about, equanimity, the antidote to craving and clinging to what, in any case, is passing through our fingers, all impermanent things, experiences, outer and inner, phenomena and noumena, mind stuff. Not that we have to throw it away, but the tighter we cling, the more irritation there is, the more we get rope burned from these impermanent things, thoughts, experiences, and feelings, and even relationships passing through our fingers. So holding it loosely, the middle way, not too tight, not too loose, is a quote from Buddha. He said it's like tuning a sitar, not too tight, not too loose, not too rigid, and not too indulgent, not austerities, which he tried, and not indulgence, the middle way, balance and appropriateness. So in, in Tibetan, we call this Dzogchen practice Rangsha Rangjo, by itself arising, by itself liberating, like the waves in the sea. You don't have to iron them out. The sea is fine. Like the ripples on a stream arising and l- releasing on their own, like the thoughts in, in our mind, like clouds going through the sky-like nature mind, like reflections in a mirror that don't stick. Things arise and dissolve in our stream of consciousness. Have you noticed? It's even hard to hold on to a thought for too long. Even though we feel like we go around and around in circles and we dig a deeper rut, still it's very impermanent how it changes and morphs and you know turns even a chain of discursive thinking. It's very hard just to be one-pointed on one thought or perception, isn't it? So your mind and you know emotions and breathing and moods and intuitions and perceptions and everything changing all the time and us seeking the security of having things the same. And the more attached we get, the more dogmatic we get, the more fixed we get. ID Fix is a cartoon character in Asterix in France, fixed ideas, dogmatism in English. You know, people say to somebody, oh, get off it, you know, get off that point, you're stuck on it. We want to be stuck that way by crazy glue and concretizing things so we'll feel secure in our concrete bunker like a turtle with its little appendages pulled in under the shell of invulnerability. Is that our way of life? Or an ostrich which just headed to sand and its ass up while the sandstorm goes through. You know, the shitstorm is moving through and our ass is going to get blown away too and take our head with it. Or if the head is really, you know, concrete, safe in the bottom of the hole there, the head's just going to stay there when the body gets blown away. This is not recommendable. (laughs) The ostrich lineage, you know, denial. Pretending it's not there. Leaving one relationship and entering another relationship and then coming to the same impasse, having the same problems. Who brought this can of worms? Oh, 
I'm the common denominator in these two relationships, <laughs> not the other one. So Rangsha Rangtrol is a, a Tibetan um, term, Dzogchen term, that's good to know because there's different translations of it, like self-liberation, self-liberated awareness. Don't forget the hyphen. This is not about the self or the not-self. This is about by itself arising, by itself liberating. If you read Dzogchen books, it can be confusing. It's about self-liberation. It's about things by itself arising in the, let's say, for the moment, field of consciousness. It could be bodily sensations. And also outer weather and everything, you know, cities even, civilizations, empires rise and, and dissolve. Everything arising and dissolving. But check it out for yourself. That's one of the main meditations in Buddhism. The three marks of existence, anicca, anatta, and dukkha, impermanence, anatta, no separate independent self, and dukkha, dissatisfactoriness, because everything's impermanent and ungovernable, unreliable, dukkha, dissatisfactory, skruka, as I call it, screwed from the first. Rangsha Rangro, by itself arising, by itself liberating. Dzogchen books, self-liberating with a hyphen. In other words, you don't have to try to stop thinking, just let the thoughts come and go, like clouds in the sky. They will go. New ones will come. You let them go too. So letting go is the practice, letting be, letting come and go, not suppressing it either, letting be. This leads to natural liberation, the inherent freedom of being, and so forth. This big sky meditation or sky gazing is very good for this because we're like the metaphor of openness and awareness. You know, the sky, like the metaphor for infinite, open, wide open, all-inclusive, non-judgmental, choiceless, total cosmic awareness. <sighs> like a child lying in the grass looking at the sky, not trying to get rid of thoughts, not knowing how to meditate sometimes seeing faces in the sky, in the clouds or whatever, but eventually more and more just settling down and settling in and dissolving and becoming like the grass. I mean, this is what I felt as a child. I don't know about you, you know, and becoming the grass and I had the thought, oh, I'm like you can fall through the earth and wake up in China, <laughs> which was, you know, right below, below Long Island, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, in Tibet probably in my case. So these are a few pith instructions from the Dzogchen tradition by itself arising, by, liberate, by itself liberating, to counter the tendency to be thought swatting, trying to empty our mind, think about nothingness, etc. This is symbolized by what we call in Dzogchen the four great moments to make the point. Also, it's a little amusing. To make the point, what are the four great moments? I'm looking around. Who can tell me? You Zogchen scholars. Sarah Chucky Bauer. Don't cheat and look at the computer. You're, you're, what are you doing there? I know what you're trying to do. I know you are. Just tell us, what are the four great moments? The four great moments are falling asleep, death, Sneezing, thank you, and orgasm. 
I'm sorry to say orgasm in this holy of holies, but you know, this is a tantric tradition. Falling asleep, death, the moment of death, or so the moment of falling asleep, the moment of death, the moment of sneezing, and the moment of orgasm. This is in the Tibetan text. What is the common thread? That's the point of this little trope. Hmm? Mind stopped. Okay. Very good. 50%. Any other guesses? I didn't hear. Letting go. Very good. 50%, even though that's completely correct. I only give 50%. You have to <laughs> supply the rest. Letting go. Any other? Sudden transformation. Very good. 50%. Any others? Common points of those four great moments? What? No thought. Very good. 50%. Enjoyable. Very good. 50%. Oh, now you got two 50s. I don't know if, I don't know if two halves make a whole, Tara. I'm not sure. I think one plus one equals oneness. It's a kind of relational principle. What'd you say, Leela? Say again. Very good. 50%. <laughs> the nature of mind is laid bare. That's an astute observation. Very Buddhist or mind nature oriented. Yes. What? Well, the point I'm making, you know, my way of thinking and the way it, it, it's been explained or like understood is it's a great moment of losing control, of letting go. Of course, probably no thought. The nature of mind is laid bare is like a Buddhist description. You know, like, well, how is the nature of mind laid bare when I sneeze? But yes. Loss of control, letting go, probably no thought, um, uh, enjoyable, sure, etc. What about orgasm? Loss of control, letting go, probably enjoyable, yeah, enjoyable, we'll go that far, etc. No thought, maybe, probably. Um, what did you say? Transformation. In this, we're not really talking about the transformation, more like direct access to what's always there, nature of mind laid bare. But yes, you could say small mind transformed into big mind, let's say, or you know, the bubble bursts in the sea, let's say, for the moment, then congeals again. The bubble bursts in the sea from which is never left. So if you can see through yourself without dying, without orgasming, without sneezing, without falling asleep, you see through yourself and see that you're just through the bubbleness of your self-centered, separate self, ego-centric perspective, to the sea in which you're always part of, the sea which is just completely through and through you. That's an image of like, in Judaism, it says the spark of God. Rabbi Akiba was the spark of God. The Baal Shem Tov was the spark of the soul of Rabbi Akiva. You with me? Fire and spark bubble and sea. So spark might seem a little separate from fire. Bubble I like because it's closer to in the sea of the sea. Small self bubble in the great transpersonalness of being the sea. So that's the principle of this Dzogchen practice, letting go, letting come and go, letting be. Pleasurable, cozy, not austerities, 
not emphasizing fixed posture and not movement or long duration. Laying what, what laying bare the nature of mind, point you know, opening to that and resting in that, and the other things that we heard. Loss of control. I'm not going to say no thought. Thoughts are fine. Feelings are fine. Everything is fine as it is. All complete. All perfect. Great perfection. Questions in the back row. Yes, sir. Quiet one. Yeah, I'll I'll try not to be so quiet. I have a confession. I I bought the three pillars of Zen in about uh, 1975, mm -hmm. and I put it on myself, and it's still on myself. That's so, good. That's very auspicious. <laughs> I did uh, a decade later read um, "Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism." Mm -hmm. That was my introduction to Buddhism. wonderful classic. Um, but my question is, I'm trying to compare Zogchen to my experience, which is more insight meditation. Uh -huh. So I think, okay. I can aspire, I can understand, I can aspire to meditate and get beyond uh, my understanding, beyond thinking, beyond desire. That I can understand. Uh, Dzogchen is something beyond that. So that's what I'm, I'm trying to figure out, the difference between my idea and my kind of simple-minded uh, mindfulness idea that's a to good Dzogchen. Question. So that, that piece is what I'm that's still trying to question. figure out. Very good question. Can I pass the buck to Kate Leela Wheeler since she's a teacher in both traditions? Leela? Sure. I don't want to put you on the spot or anything. Do you mind? Say, so, do you know, um, have you felt at times in practice what it's like when there's a lot of equanimity coming up in your practice in the insight world? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like that, you know, that um, you're there and things come and go. And there's not a lot of involvement or need to even really focus. There's sort of a quality of peace and clarity and things come in and out. And some of them may be pleasant. Some may, That's one of the aspects of equanimity, that things that are pleasant and unpleasant don't activate us to, you were saying, beyond desire, let's say. You know, you just let the things be there. So I think that would be a, really the traditions are not that different. They all really do have the same heart. So... Like, I wouldn't make it be so different. You know, the technique might be a little bit different, but does that help? Yeah, that is helpful. Thank you. Yeah. Um. Thank you, Leela. Since you um, allegedly have practiced in the insight tradition, I'll drop the name Joseph Goldstein, the first patriarch of American Buddhism who pretty much with his colleagues, John Salzburg, Jack Kornfield, and a couple others brought Insight Meditation to America and Mindfulness in the early 70s, let's say. Joseph once asked um, the Gyalwang Drukpa Rinpoche that I was talking about before, the, those pictures there, the um, question, what's the difference between mindfulness and awareness since... We talk about mindfulness a lot in our tradition and in Theravada Buddhism and the Satipatthana Sutra and all that. And um, Mahamudra and Dzogchen, you more talk about awareness, or prajna wisdom or wisdom awareness or discriminating awareness, transcendental awareness, rigpa awareness, nature of mind or nature of awareness and so on. 
So what's the difference between mindfulness? Uh, I think he said exactly. Then he summed it up. What's the difference between Dzogchen aware, mindfulness and Dzogchen awareness? And the Lama, who speaks English, this isn't my translation, just said right, right immediately back, in Dzogchen, no mind. <laughs> That's what he said. I'll leave it to you to interpret. He didn't say no thought. Then um, he and I and others, we were with the great Tuka Urjan Rinpoche, whose sons teach here sometimes, Sokni Rinpoche, Chikinima Rinpoche, Minjo Tuku, and others. The great Tuka Urjan, we asked him. We were in Nepal. We had a retreat with him. As a general center, like organized a retreat of this kind, sort of, not a lot of uh, rituals, and et cetera. I think it was five days. I think Kate Leela Wheeler was there, but I don't know. She goes to a lot of retreats. I can't remember. She's totally at that one, but probably. Joseph or Sharon, somebody like that, asked the great Zogchen Master, what's the difference between mindfulness and Rigpa or awareness or mindfulness practice and Rigpa practice, awareness practice in Zogchen? And he said, in mindfulness practice, it's kind of like having a searchlight or like f focusing on the objects and their impermanence or selflessness or dissatisfactoriness or whatever. So it's like a little reaching out, like a search beam reaches out in the sky to pick out planes, something like that at an airport or, you know, in a war in the old days. Now we have computers, I guess. I don't know. It's a little more of the act of reaching out. And the Dzogchen awareness is uh, less active. It's more like the mirror that just clearly reflects whatever appears in it. So you can see that in the mindfulness and Theravadan text, a lot of the object about the object of attention. And the Dzogchen text about the awareness of awareness. Well, like I said today, introducing something from the Dzogchen Nundro, subtle discernment practice, comes before Tregchid usually, turning your attention back upon itself, who or what is experiencing, is trying to meditate, is trying to control the mind, to get to like a little deeper than just I am meditating on it, you know, the subject-object duality, the vajra, the candle flame, the mantra, the physical sensation, whatever your object of attention is, or noting, like Joseph likes to teach noting. You know, you say, oh, neat pain or throbbing and, you know, sound, sound. So you get a little detached from it. But you see, that's like a little reaching out and identifying. So and it's got a little mental concept attached to it, name and form, as it says in the sutras. So the Dzogchen may be is a little more uh, non-action, mirror-like awareness, sky-like nature of mind, not doing anything about the clouds that go through it. The sea never leaves its bed, but it moves according to conditions. So that's a few thoughts. That's fabulous. Beyond eyes open or chanting or breathing or not, you know. That's fabulous. I think, Thank you. I, I think I'm stuck by the title of the book that I mentioned, Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism, because... He, he talked about people, a spot, you know, people kind of competing to achieve these things. <laughs> and I took that to heart because, you know, I'm in an achievement world. Right. So I, I'm, all, I'm in some ways kind of held back by that because 
when I hear the description, I think if I aspire to that, that then is no longer what it should be, if, if you understand what I mean. Yeah, well, you know, in the path of development, changing ourselves and transformation, then we try to transform ambition, ego, ambition, which includes, you know, competition, zero sum, you know, like if you get it, then I lose it, thinking and other problematic, selfish kind of things with aspiration. So we try to transform ambition to aspiration. So like if all those egocentric things or materialism, you know, objects or how many zeros you have in your net assets competition um, is like handcuffs or shackles at some point to be renounced or got free of. The last golden handcuffs to go could be aspiration for, you know, liberation, which is an exponential leap, not just getting rid of the handcuff, but like, you know, it's like, how do you get a ship out of a bottle, you know, without breaking the, the glass? That's an exponential, that needs another dimension. That's like a koan that you chew on. That needs, you know, like, how did it get in there? Is there even a ship in there? Does it have to get out of the bottle? Do you have to get out of samsara, etc.? So you have an exponential leap. And maybe you find samsara in nirvana, you don't have to get out of the bottle to the other shore. Spiritual Materialism, Kind Through, is a great book. Of course, it's written a long time ago. It's not that well edited. I mean, just because, you know, Trungpa was a great teacher who spoke quite pretty good English, and they didn't spend all the time editing it. They just put it out, and he has written 20 books, and, you know, they're still coming out, even though he's dead. So he's a real, you know, tulpu. But um, there's a little uh, weak, you know, editing in some of those early books also. Like, if you look at his book on Abhidharma, he has a different five skandhas than anybody else. I'm not going to go into all that. The five components of individuality. He has a little different one than Buddha and all the other Buddhist teachers. <laughs> and nobody's ever satisfactorily, you know, explained why. He was very learned. I don't think it was a mistake. It wasn't a problem of translation. <laughs> Questions, please. And I do recommend his books. Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism is a good one. Dare I Say, Shambhala, The Way of the Warrior is a good one. Uh, they're all good. He, he, he um, in his book about the nine yanas of Buddhism, not just the three yanas, but like as we say in Nyingmapa and Dzogchen, the nine yanas, and Dzogchen being like the peak or the penthouse, according to Tibetans, Buddhism. He says, you know, you do this, you do that, and you purify and transform and transform your attitude and then reach non-dual and tantra, and then everything is part of the path. You don't have to go on a narrow path like monasticism, and everything is grist for the mill. And when you, by the time you get to Dzogchen, just forget it. It's just like the sky falls on your head. <laughs> There's no way to conceive or, you know, think or hope for what that could be like. Questions, please. Yes, Rob. Um, I have a question regarding how to use the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Mm -hmm. 
Um, currently, I, you know, as, as a living person, what I do is I listen to a recording of it randomly through my, my iPod when I work. Um, and I, I, but I, I enjoy it a lot, but what I want to do is give instructions for people to read it to me when I'm dying or past. And one, one of my questions is, um, do they need to read it out loud, or do they, can they read it to themselves, and can I hear, can I read the minds of them reading it? Read it out loud. Read it out loud, okay. Yeah, but it doesn't mean they have to read every word of the whole book. Uh-huh. So let's talk about this more later, since this is the Zogchen retreat. But, but Tibetan Book of the Dead is a Zogchen text by Padmasambhava. It's a terma of Karmalingpa, somebody, uh-huh. somebody in the 14th century. And there's a lot of mind teachings in there. Right. So the better you learn those, the better that it, you don't have to hear it from someone else at the moment of death. Right. And you can also practice dying in those four moments, like when you're falling asleep, you can practice that, looking into going the light. Okay. Um, orgasming, sneezing, and uh, and the other one. I uh, sort of taught this. I was asked and pushed into teaching this at the Buddha Fest in L.A. about a month ago. And the way the organizers set it up, it was the opening night, a Friday night of a weekend that went until Monday or Tuesday. And a Tibetan musician of some note, whose name I can't remember at the moment, was going to be playing Tibetan instruments, and his brother was going to be doing the black hat llama dance with all the brocade robes and all, and they were going to turn the lights out at the crucial moment, and I, I was supposed, Sultan Lama Sultan Alioni and I were supposed to read the Tibetan Book of the Dead alternatively to the audience who was meditating, and, you know, they were going to see this black-robed Lama dance in the shadowy darkness of a theater, 300 people. So first, Lama Sultan died and didn't come. I mean, she didn't come. <laughs> So I was there. So then I had to read the whole damn thing. And then it had been edited, you know, just for the good part. So it was like Thomas Jefferson's Bible, which is actually not a bad idea. You know about Jefferson's Bible? He took out all the parts he thought Christ never said and then published it or, like, has his own, you know, version, which is fantastic. Anyway, so we were doing this, and um, it was pretty good. I thought... Wow, this is a great meditation practice, and also with some of the ambiance, visual experience, sensory deprivation, sensory stimulation of a different kind, the unknown, the mystery. It was like a mystery rite. And, oh, this is the way to do it, not just read the book in a sterile, you know, well-lit room when somebody's dying, but actually as like a meditation, a guided, really go-with-them experience. Last question. We try to stay on schedule here, mainly because Captain Menla runs a tight ship. Yes. Um, really specifically, holding at the bottom of a breath, right? Like, I feel that contraction every time. Every time? You mean when we're doing the exercise or every time we're doing the 45 or half hour meditating? Yes. Okay. I mean... Yeah. Comes and goes, but that's one place really clearly where okay. I can feel somewhat, I got 
lots of holding on, but that's a really specific point that brings me back a lot. Down there. Yeah. What does brings you back mean? Maybe brings you back is good. Maybe it brings your head down to your aura out of your ivory tower. But what does bringing back, what did you say bring back mean? Brings you back mean? Not being able to let go, relax. Uh-huh. Do you usually have tension there? Is that your spot? Not headaches or neck aches or shoulder and back aches? Yeah, when we do the breath, I can feel the disconnection between all the pieces. I keep thinking this week, uh, Johnny Cash, I keep a close watch on this heart of mine, right? Like, this is here, this is here, this is here. Uh, keep them apart. Um, trying to let that go, and then really specifically from the breath, like, everywhere. Maybe you're getting too specific, clinical or particular, which is also a bit conceptual. I don't know. What do you think? I As we're stressing yeah. a lot, you know, lean back, open, decontract, you know, at ease, all these words. You know, maybe you could try meditating like this, which is the seventh posture of the Togel postures. I don't know. Which would, you know, take that and like open up the line on his basic. You're saying disconnected. So then you said the Johnny Cash song or keeping an eye on the heart of mind or something. So I think that's a good, you know, not making this a problem like we get more contracted or tight or self-doubting or nervous or clenched up. You know, I don't know what comes with that, you know constipation or like throat you said something about the you know breathing and you feel like it uh, well maybe breathing exercises aren't for you like we just did a little homeopathic dose in the beginning of this session of breathing exercises so some might say well if you did a full you know like nine or like an hour a half hour you might loosen up those blockages and you know get the it's like exercise. You can't do too much on the first day and then you're the next day anyway. So, you know, you skip a day and do the third day. On the other hand, maybe it's not for you. Have you been having that problem before in your practice? Sure, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Well... I said a few things, maybe uh, see how it goes. And you know, even leaning back or try meditating lying down or a standing. I don't know how much, do you do exercise, you work out? Do you work it out that way, the energy, you know, and all? Tried it all. So does that work for you? Still trying. Yeah. Well, we're all still trying. But trying with a sense of humor and trying, you know, you can't really try not to try. Effortless effort, you know, is a balancing point. It's like riding a bicycle. When you learn to ride, it seems like you're just always like that, rigid, but you're really always adjusting. That's called riding, right? Or a horse. In the beginning, it's such a struggle to get your balance on a bicycle when you're a kid. But if you get it, then you're always adjusting a little. It's not a fixed thing. So we're still trying. Let's see how it goes. Good luck.
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now.